Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. started in verse 1 of chapter 1, and we're now at chapter 2. Chapter 1, verse 1 of John, as we enter that book, the Bible tells us these things are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the design purpose of the book of John. The second thing we want to look at is we've been looking at this uh, great book that uh, this disciple of Jesus wrote was as he talked about uh, Jesus entering his earthly ministry. And that's what chapter 1 is about. Chapter 2 is actually where he did the first miracle that Jesus did. He changed the water to wine. Most of us are very familiar with that story. Him and his disciples were invited to a wedding. They went, they ran out of wine, and we remember they took an inventory of what they had. They had six water pots. Jesus said, fill them to the brim. And Jesus turned the water to wine. Now, we've been looking also in every aspect that we can. I believe that uh, the Word of God affects every single aspect of our life. It isn't something we turn on like a light switch, and when we walk away, we turn it off. It it affects every part of our life. And so when we look at the, the principles in the Bible, you can apply them to your business life. You can apply them to your personal life. You can apply them to your eternal life. All these things are all part... And believe it or not, they're all kind of tied together as well. We, we recognize that. You can be having a, um, as, as an example, you can be having uh, a great day. You can know God loves you, but have business troubles and it troubles you. These, I believe, are all part of how God balances us out. We remember he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, I'm going to call you Caiaphas, which means Rocky. Well, here's why. Because he saw Peter for what he was going to be, not for what he was. Moms, dads, when we see our kids that way, means the same thing. And I believe that's so important when we see our kids for what they can be, maybe rather than sometimes for what they are. You see your business for what it can be rather than for what it is. I believe that's a spiritual insight in God's Word that helps us. You look at a, a, at a land, uh, a land developer. Uh, he can see a lot and rather than just seeing a field of dirt, he sees a gas station and a strip mall or something else. They see it for what it can be. So these are all principles that are in God's Word that help us not only deal with daily life, but also our eternal life as well. Jesus sees you, me, for what we're going to be, not for what we are. That's called God's grace. God gives us what we don't deserve. So I think it's really important. Now, the next thing we want to look at is we go into uh, the first part of chapter 2. We remember, what do you have? They had six water pots. Jesus said, fill them to the brim. He turned them to wine. And again, this is one of the way God works. God blesses you what you have to do his work. A lot of times he says, well, God, I'll serve you when I have this or I have that. Well, uh, the problem is with that, God will bless you right now. But we have to take inventory. What's required enough take, taking inventory in what we have in our life? Thanksgiving. 
We look and say, oh, God, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. How may I use these things that you have given me for your kingdom? Now, we're going to look at some more principles like this as well as we continue through John. Because, again, this is the first miracle that Jesus did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you have a purpose and a place for every single one of us if we would grow and mature in you. And so, Lord, as you take us as we are right now and you begin to nurture us, into what we will be, that we would consider the resources that you've given us and how we may use them for you. May you bless these words by your Holy Spirit to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 11, and this is right after he turned the water to wine. By the way, it says on the third day, so it's kind of interesting that uh, John brings our attention to a third day thing where Jesus uh, was buried. He rose from the, the dead three days later, and God takes us that was dead and lost, and God changes us as well. Well, anyway, it says in verse 11, this, the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed him. And after this, they went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brother, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Why? Because Jesus was going to come back, as it tells us here in the next verse, for the Passover. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So this is what Jesus did. It was a great feast that the Jews celebrated. In that remembrance of when the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, They cried out to God. God sent them a deliverer named Moses. Moses comes, and we remember the story. There was these plagues that hit Egypt consecutively, nine of them. But on the last one, on the tenth plague, we remember the death angel went through the land of Egypt. And unless the blood of the lamb was on the door and the lintel of of the home the death angel would go into that house and kill the firstborn. Thus the name Passover, because the death angel passed over the houses of the children of Israel because they believed. Now, this is why it's important. Jesus, the Paschal Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He is the one that causes the death angel to pass over us and not come in and destroy us. And the Bible tells us that those that do not have the blood, the Bible says that is the second death. The first death for us as Christians is when we come to Christ and we die. The Bible said we die with him. That's great. That's what we do. But the second thing that we do is that when a person is not born again, they physically die and then spiritually they will die throughout all of eternity. That's the second death. That's the one that will get you. But if you don't do anything about it in the first, you'll be affected by it in the second. So he tells us here, He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, money changers, were doing their business. Boy, they had a racket going. Now, this is in the outer court of the Temple Mount. You had the inner court where the Jewish people could go. The outer court is where the Gentiles could come. And notice what it says, And he found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves. Now, this isn't like having a a, a Sunday school bake sale in the back of the church and they're selling cookies. I've had people actually try to apply this to that. That's very wrong because that is not what it's talking about. What What they were doing is they were selling kosher doves and uh, these different animals 
for the forgiveness of sin. They were pre-inspected by a priest. And so you could buy them at a much increased financial rate to do and get your sins forgiven. The problem was they would go to buy their animal. And this, again, the outer court, this is where the Gentiles could go. They would go to have their sins forgiven. And they would say, well, we don't take Roman denarii. their form of money, you have to have that changed into Jewish shekels. Now you go to the money changer, get your Roman money changed in the shekel, come back and we'll sell you a a, a prescribed animal for your sacrifice. It was a racket. And they were making money and they were doing all these things. All the people who were coming into the outer court of the temple was trying to get their sins forgiven. But there was the merchandisers that came along and took advantage of that. And you'll always find that. There's always those that will try to get between you and your relationship with God. And they will offer religion. They will offer uh, uh, programs. They will offer church memberships. They will offer all kinds of things rather than you just simply going to Jesus Christ, Him personally. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man. That's Christ Jesus. And so because of that, we just go directly to him. Now remember something, we're also the temple of God. And there are things that would like to come in, set up inside of us, the buying and selling. You think about people that aren't born again. And the things that they will try to do to get right with God. They'll try to eat organically grown foods, or they'll try to, uh, uh, you know, sit in the lotus position in their living room and, and focus on the third eye in the middle of their forehead or some other thing to get right with God. There has been a merchandising that has gone on inside of people to try in some way to be right with God, where Jesus offers that by just believing. That's what's so wonderful, what God does for us. And so when he found these people in the temple who sold oxen and sheep and dove and the money changers were doing their business, when he had made a whip of cords. Now this cursory reading, just quickly reading it, you would not maybe pick this up. But when Jesus sat down, he made a whip. And he was making the cords on the whip. Which tells me this was not some fly-off-the-handle reaction to what he saw going on in the temple. This was actually a well-calculated thing that Jesus did. And so he made made a whip of cords, and he drove them all out of the temple, which the sheep and the oxen poured out of the changers, money overturned the tables. He just went through and just ramsacked the outer court of the temple by turning everything over. Uh, and uh, he says he drove them all out. He didn't drive them in. He drove them out. Got rid of them. Now, friends, I, I think that's really important because one of the things when we ask Jesus to come in our hearts, one of the things that God does in our hearts is he will chase out those who have been merchandising you. He'll do that. You know, that's one of the things people say, well, you know, I'll come to Christ, but I got to stop doing this and start doing that and do this and do that. That's not the way it works. You just come to Christ. He'll clean you out. He did here. Comes in the temple. The first thing he did 
was he chased out all those that were taking advantage of people, taking advantage of those people who just simply wanted to know who God was. And so it says, And he said to those who sold the doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. You see, all they wanted to do was get right with God, but those people were taking advantage and saying, well, you know, to really have your sins forgiven and to really have a prescribed dub without any kind of spot or blemish, you have to buy them from the temple store. That's not selling cookies for a Sunday school class in the back of the church. What this was, was how you got right with God, and they were capitalizing on it and taking advantage of it. And so he says... Take these things away. God will take things out of your life when you come to him. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will take those things out of your life that don't belong. Friends, again, another business principle, and here it is. You're going to find business principles interlaced throughout the Scripture to help you do better in whatever it is that God's called you to do. One of the things we have to do is if you have a business, one of the things you need to do is you need to get rid of the stuff that's not producing anything. Those things that are dragging you down. Um, and sometimes it's better to be a little more concentrated on, on the things that are being successful than trying to, to uh, somehow try to include everything. And so here Jesus chases out those that were buying and selling in the temple. And notice it says in verse 17, his disciples, excuse me, it says, then his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal for your house has eaten me up. And this is in Psalm 69, 9. And what it's talking about is, because God, I want to see your temple right and do well and all these things, that motivated Jesus to chase those money changers out. Because again, there are those that will take advantage of, of, of people. I see all the things that religions offer people and, 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 and false hope and all those things. And none of those things are really going to make a difference. What makes the difference is your personal relationship with Christ. That's what makes the difference. And so then he says, the Jews answered and said to Jesus, what sign do you show us? Since you do all these things. What what gives you the right to come into our place of business and chase out all the money changers? Well, well, where do you get off doing that? Now, it's interesting that they wanted to see a sign. A lot of people are like that. In fact, one of the things you'll see as we read on through here is you're going to find that many people believe because of the signs that Jesus did. But oftentimes the signs that Jesus did that caused them to believe, it wasn't a real deep commitment. God knew that. And so he says, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rise it up. Now, he's speaking of himself here. That's the sign you're going to know that I had the right to clean the temple out. Because Jesus really is addressing that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, as we'll see here. Then the Jews said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. We also find this in John chapter 10 where Jesus said, I lay my life down, I take it up, no one takes my life from me. And so nobody killed Jesus. 
actually Jesus laid his life down for us. Now, people will say, well, what about the Romans? They killed Jesus. Or what about the Jews that had him killed? It tells me Jews and Gentiles, both alike, were all guilty of the death of Christ. I know during the Second World War, Adolf Hitler, to bring hatred against the Jews, said that the Jews killed Jesus. But friends, that's not all completely true. We remember that Pontius Pilate said, I see no fault in this man washed his hands publicly. I am innocent of his blood. No, you're not, because you could have let him go, and you didn't. You see, there's none righteous, the Bible says. No, not one. And so when Jesus is speaking there, tear the temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days, who raised Jesus from the dead? Well, we find in Romans that the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. Then in the same verse, it says that the Father raised him from the dead. Now we find, here in John chapter 2, Jesus himself saying he raised himself from the dead. Well, that tells me that God raised him from the dead, which tells me Jesus is God. Somebody said one time, well, he's not God, he's God's son. No, the Bible said he is God. In fact, they're walking along in John 14. And they said, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long you don't know who I am? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus is the Father, but he's in the express image of the Father. And probably one of the hardest things for people to grasp is this thing called the Trinity. It is real. The Bible speaks of it. We go back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God there is the word Elohim. And Elohim means the plurality of God's. Now, it isn't speaking of Zeus, Hermit, Zeus, uh, uh, Buddha. No, the Bible tells you who this Elohim is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All living uh, in love with each other, interchanging identities with each other at times, and yet every one of them having their own separate identity. Somebody tries to sometimes explain it as a tree. You have the roots, you have the stump, and you have the, the branches and the leaves. It's all tree. There's no part of that tree that's lesser than a tree. But even that, that's not a very good illustration. People have used an egg. And I kind of like that the best because you have the shell, you have the white part, you have the yolk. It's all egg. In fact, if you take away the shell, you don't really have an egg anymore. You might have an omelet, but you don't have an egg. But it's all part, and every part has its function. But the love of God in the Trinity goes beyond that where we find them actually interchanging identities at times. And so we find that here as well. Jesus said, tear the temple down. I'll rebuild it in three days. He was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. That's why, friends, I believe that when we read the Bible, though we may not always understand what we're reading, that does not mean that God will not use that in a future time in your life. I've had people say, well, I've tried reading the Bible and I, I don't understand everything I'm reading. Probably not. You probably won't. I don't understand maybe everything exactly how a TV set works, but I know it works. And that's the same way it is. People say, well, I won't believe until I completely understand everything going on. Well, then you'll never do anything in your life because there's so many things in our lives we don't understand everything about. 
We're still learning and still being taught not only things of God, but even how everything around us works. Hard to believe that there's actually pictures flying through the room right now of people and individuals and TV commercials. And if you had a TV set, you could pick it up and see that. But if you were to tell somebody that, they wouldn't believe you. That's how God works. God explains to us what we need to know. But God, I don't understand that right now. God says, just keep it in the back of your heart. You will. I can still see Jesus. And it was really funny. They really liked the idea of all-you-can-eat fish and chips. This is what Jesus did when he fed the 5,000. Multiplied the loaves and the fishes. And and they all show up, and they all had their bellies full. And the next day they followed him because they liked it so much. I guess they wanted to do it again. So they followed him to the north side of the Galilee. And Jesus, seeing the crowds, realized that they were really following for the miracles, not because they wanted to hear what he had to say. And so he looked at the multitude. 5,000 men, we don't know how many women and children. He said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the Bible says they all laughed. I mean, talk about going from from uh, a crowd of 10,000 to 12. Hey, listen, Jesus did it. And you know what? Jesus did it on purpose too. Now, it's just the opposite today because we have we have people that will say things to bring the crowds in. Jesus would say things to make the crowds go away. Isn't that weird? But that's the way Jesus works. Now, here's another reason why I believe. Because it's only the pure in heart that are going anyway. God knows what to say to cause that to happen. And so we remember that when Jesus said, unless you eat my body, drink my blood, you have no part of me, they all left. Jesus looks and said, are you guys going to leave as well? To the twelve. And Peter said, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean, I, I kind of don't understand these kooky things you're saying right now, but uh, we know that we've been around you enough to know you have the words of eternal life. A few weeks later, <clears throat> they're in the upper room. And Jesus holds up the bread and he breaks it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Holds up the cup said, this is my blood which is shed for you. I can just see the disciples going, oh, that's what he was talking about. Eat my body, drink my blood. This is my blood, my blood. This is my bread. Oh, we get it now. I can just see Jesus. I can see them, the light coming on. But that's the way it is with us. Sometimes as we'll read our Bibles and we'll be in our relationship with God and God says, I need you to get out of this relationship or I need you to uh, uh, stay away from this group of friends or I need you to stop doing something. And we go, oh God, you know, I don't really understand it. I don't see why, I don't see what's wrong with it, but we really feel an unction from the Holy Spirit not to stay where we're at. And and all of a sudden God then speaks to us and, and, and we really feel that conviction to get away from this group of people. I, I've had that in my life, friends. I had that where I heard the voice of God say, you get away from this particular person. And I didn't know what to do. Uh, But I did what he said. Was there times I had regretted getting away from that person? Yes. But I knew God was right. And I looked back and I realized that voice of God was to protect me. And I may not always, you may not always understand when God tells you something from his word. But if you stay faithful to him, you will see why he told you that. These words are not just written 
to entertain us or to make the Bible bigger to better squash locks of baby hair or store $2 bills. These words are written so that we would have life. And I may not always understand everything God's doing, but God never told me to understand everything. He said, walk by faith. That means I trust Him at His Word and we do what He says. Thank you for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.